really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and really anything else I can find all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. As always, I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. So we began a slightly new format last week, and I'm excited to keep it rolling. So let's start the show. So as always, we start with current updates, and there's not much to report on the home front this week, except we did have a massive thunderstorm recently, and the heavy rain brought down like half of the, the leaves on our trees. So we sort of went from one day being like, oh, the leaves are starting to fall, to where the heck did the patio go overnight? You know, raking and bagging leaves has to be one of my least favorite activities, but considering how beautiful the autumn is here, it's definitely a price worth paying. Of course, you know, with all the leaves falling everywhere now, that means my insane across-the-street neighbor gets to use his favorite toy, his massive industrial leaf blower. He doesn't have your typical home version either. The thing, you know, it looks and sounds like a doomsday device, and he is genuinely in love with it. He comes out, he blows the leaves away, and then he, I'm, I swear I'm not making this up, blows the dirt off his driveway and sidewalk, and then, again, I swear this is true, he does the same for the houses to his left and right, and then, not even going to say it this time, he freaking blows the dirt down the street until it's beyond two houses away in either direction. He uses a gas-guzzling noise machine to dust the street. Oh, does he do this quickly, at least, you ask? Oh, no. Oh, my word, no. No, he fires the thing up and has it gunning up for, I don't know, sometimes about four hours, maybe even more. He clearly can't be an NFL fan because he always starts right after the 1 o'clock kickoff time for the early games. And by the time the 4 o'clock and 425 games begin, he's still going. It makes me feel like I'm trapped in a Terry Gilliam movie or something. It's just absolute madness. I'm trying to scheme up a way to sort of ingratiate myself with him so I can eventually say, hey, by the way, any chance you can use that thing for like, an hour instead of four and a half, but yeah, we'll see. Oy vey with the leaf blowers already. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! No, Isaac, I can't say it is good news this week. So, this past week, many MLR fans, myself included, were kind of led to believe we'd be hearing a statement of some sort about the fate of the Gill teams, as well as the potential addition of another new franchise, but no such statement ever materialized, and at this point, the silence has kind of become deafening. So it's been around five months since the LA team and the Austin team were unceremoniously booted from the playoffs, and we still have no idea what their fates will be. MLR, please, even if you don't have anything to tell us definitively, at least tell us why it's taking so long, You know what options are being considered, anything. I mean, come on, rumors are popping up like crabgrass. Y'all need to mow that lawn pronto if I can, I don't know, use and abuse that metaphor all at once. But seriously, come on, folks, throw us a bone here. So moving on to our thoughts of the week. And you know what? My thoughts this week are just about all the great guests that I've had on this show. So this month, as you're already aware, it's been the uncreatively named month of interviews. We've already had Bernard Jackman, absolute legend of Irish rugby, Will Owen, the fabulous genius, 
Dallin Stanford, top flight commentator and all around magical human being. And we still have Phil Harris, the creator and mastermind behind the Jacks Rangers podcast. We've got Rachel Law, Scottish rugby sensation, and extraordinarily, Philip Tuddyett, former Wales player and commentator at the recent Sevens Rugby World Cup, among other tournaments. On top of that, the day before Halloween, we'll have the gruesome twosome, my brothers from other mothers, John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, returning for another epic chat. All of that rugby love, all of those people willing to share their time with us here, and that was just this month. Pause for a second. That's seven people from wide-ranging backgrounds, all with high levels of insight and expertise, just over the first 30 days of this month. The Scrum of the Earth has to be the luckiest pod out there, because that kind of outpouring, it, it's just remarkable. I just love it. And don't forget, as I say, that's one month. We've been here for over a year, so during that time, apart from the list I just gave you, we've also had the distinct pleasure to chat with Dave Buzzy Rosinski, Free Jacks superfan Spider, top-level referee and also Free Jacks fanatic, Ntale Joshua, sports writer Stefan Thomas, Bruce Aitchison, Carrie Heffernan, Melanie and Megan, the co-founders of Iroquois Roots Rugby, Hall of Famer Jan Rutkowski, Nicola Garforth, Carwin Harris, James Dealey, Elena Soper, Dr. Tony Collins, Kyle Shukera, uh, Chris, Rory, and Johnny from the Thistle Do Nicely podcast, Ewan Brumwell, Ollie Engelhart, Engelhart uh, Lee Calvert from the Blood and Mud podcast, Blaze from BKR Sport in Australia, Harry Barlow, Tom Kindly, Free Jacks head coach Scott Matthey, Johnny McGinty, Alex Magleby, and yes, even Jonathan Beardmore from the Egg Chasers podcast. I've just been thinking about how lucky I am, and I just wanted to take a brief moment to say thanks to everyone who's contributed or just listened to the show. It's just a truly magical piece of my life these days, and I very much appreciate it. Okay, my friends, that of course brings us to our reviews for the week, starting with Rugby World Cup 2021. For the final round of the pool stages, of course, it was Australia versus Wales, Australia winning 13 to 7. It was New Zealand versus Scotland, New Zealand absolutely smashing Scotland 57 to zip. And France versus Fiji, which was 44 to nothing. Those were on Saturday. On Sunday, of course, it was Japan versus Italy. Japan goes down 8 to 21. It was Canada versus USA. I have so much to complain about with this result. Canada beating us for the sixth consecutive time, 29 to 14. Ugh. And finally, it was England beating South Africa 75-0. So I'm actually not going to go into any of these fixtures today. A, because I'm so freaking mad that if I start talking about it, I'm going to sound like a crazy person. But more importantly, because to recap all of we see, that we've seen so, uh, so far, the fabulous Rachel Law will be back again on October 27th. And that app should drop the very next day. So be on the lookout for that one. She is so great. It's going to be so much fun. Next up on the list, of course, it was the NPC final, the National Provincial Championship of New Zealand. It was at Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch on Saturday. It featured, of course, Canterbury at home to face Wellington. The comms opened by pointing out that the bookies had Wellington winning by 54% to uh, 46%, and they opined, I think there might be something wrong with those computers, which really cracked me up. So just so you know, definitely going to take my time with this one, by the way, as, as regular listeners will well know. Super Rugby was the first competition I ever started watching, and it was several years before I was able to even catch the NPC at all. So this league, man, oh man, I just love it. You see everyone out there from Once in Future All Blacks to Once in Future Free Jacks. I mean, what could be better? So it was a beautiful day on the eastern coast of the southern island in the Aotearoa, a huge and vocal crowd on hand for the spectacle set to unfold, and under the headline of a fierce rivalry, they showed a stat demonstrating just how much history and moreover how much parody 
there has been between these two teams over the years from 1976 until this very day. Canterbury have played Wellington 53 times, Canterbury winning 26, Wellington winning 25, with two matches drawn between them. I mean, if I was making that up, you'd be like, David, please, you got to at least make it seem realistic. Come on. So it was Ruben, I look like I'm five or six pints short of blood, Love, who would get the first try for this final, his fifth in five games. And this was uh, after they mentioned that several players on his Wellington side were only months old when they last won this title. So good. I got to say, my my guy, TJ Perinara, he was freaking everywhere, leaping up to to pick off two potentially lethal passes just in the first quarter of play. It must be weird to be that good and still disappear from your national team's radar. I mean, this is two tiers down from the All Blacks, and he's still out there giving it every single bit. What a player. So it was 13-17 to and anyone's game at halftime. At 50 minutes... The 36-year-old Luke Romano came in, 31 all-black tests under his belt, to a huge welcome by the fans on hand. He actually played in a final against this very team, his first season 14 years ago, and won it. So, with Wellington starting to pull away as the second half wore on, they called back to the pre-match percentage that they mentioned and, and, quote, we faded their chances at first and now we're here, unquote, as the updated graphic showed 9% to 91 for the underdogs. Uh, Fergus Burke finally missed a kick, leaving a five-point margin, but all signs were still pointing to an upset. Quoting the comms again, Wellington working away a minute and a half from glory, something they've waited 22 years for, and boom, there was the penalty, and it, it was over. It was the Wellington Lions winning the double, as they said, the, the title for the year while also stealing the Rand Furley Shield. What a final, what a match, what a year. It was 18 to 26 at the end. Very moving stuff, too, after the game. All the interviews, half the players are outright teary and half of them are doing that I'm not really tearing up thing, which is always great. Just beautiful stuff. And that, my friends, tied a lovely little bow on the NPC for another great season. I'm hoping they stick with this format next year. I think it worked really well. I don't think constantly changing it has been good for the fans. Um, we had some amazing Ranfurly Shield defenses. And by the way, we had the only 8-2 team matched up with the only 9-1 team, which is a great final to have, though the biggest surprise had to be the downfall of Waikato, who went 7-1-2, with both of those losses coming over the course of the final three weeks. That, they must be devastated after winning it all last year. Uh, it was great to be able to see some former Free Jacks out there ripping it up, several of whom I'm hoping to see back here at Fort Quincy in a few months. NPC, along with the FPC, thank you for an awesome year, and until next time, you will definitely be missed. So, swinging up to France and the Top 14, and for round eight of the Top 14, we had six games on Saturday featuring several very close contests. Once again, for this entire weekend, no home teams lost, as is so often the case with this competition, I'm learning. You know, I think, because this comp is so new to me, I still find myself just gobsmacked every week when I see all the star power the teams have. I'm under the impression that there's no actual salary cap in the top 14, so it's not just the incredible players for the French national team, it's it's the legions of former All Blacks, flying Fijians, all these amazing players from the Southern Hemisphere that I kind of lost track of. Just every single match, at least once, I find myself going, him too? No way! So as for a few details and highlights from the weekend, uh, we began with Rassing versus Montpellier. Rassing, they did get back to form, but you know what? They just don't like playing defense. So Finn Russell, he had a great game and even smiled a bit, which was nice. Uh, this coming Sunday, I'll again be chatting with John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast. We will have lots more to say about Finn at that point. Um, also, as always, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but if you could average 
how many times a player's name is mentioned during any given broadcast, the clear winner has to be Harry Thacker, right? Like if you're watching a game with Antoine Dupont, you get you hear Dupont mentioned a lot. You'd hear Etzebeth mentioned a lot. Your Bowden Barrett's, your Maro Toges, your Gareth Anscombs. They all get call outs with regularity, but when Harry Thacker is playing, it's nonstop. What a player he is. He's just everywhere. So 38 to 31 was the final score. Really didn't feel that close. And like I said, not a lot of defense played. Um, Bayonne were home for Perpignan, and the home side just managed to hold on 24 to 20. Lyon versus Po was another close win for the hosting team, 31 to 27. Stade Francais were hosting Brieve. Our first not very close margin for this one. Brieve, they, they may have they may as well have stayed home for this one, losing 27 to zip and really not seeming to care too much. So Toulon versus Cast was next. In my notes, pretty much all I wrote was. Cheslin Colbe for Toulon. Wow, he's another one. I almost forgot about him. And then you just find your jaw on the ground watching him carving it up all day long. Great defense by Cast on the road, by the way. Very close, but Toulon did hold on 22-20 to 20 in a thriller. That was a great one. Uh, Claremont versus Bordeaux. Begla was next. I think Bordeaux Begla are becoming my team. There's just there's something very cool about them. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but a certain je ne sais quoi, I suppose. Their coach always looks like he might have just finished a donut when they cut to him. And he does these uh, uh, impulsive things like whipping off his headset in a way that causes the mouthpiece to sort of pick his nose. I suppose that makes my criteria for what teams I want to support a little weird, eh? Anyway, the other thing I had in my notes was Damian Penno. So good. Oh, God, what a what a player he is to watch. In the end, though, Bordeaux Begler, they settled for the draw rather than risking it right at the end. And I guess I don't blame them. And then Sunday, an absolute killer. It was Toulouse hosting La Rochelle. What a matchup. These two teams were the past two winners of Europe and faced each other in the top 14 final just two years ago. Uh, it took La Rochelle 50 minutes to score their first try in this one, even with Entomac still out for Toulouse. Uh, Antoine Dupont, I mean, if I spent more time talking about how freaking good that guy is, it'd be a whole separate podcast. He's just a force of nature out there. Uh, La Rochelle, they put up a good fight. They pulled it within six with about five minutes to go. The comms were jumping out of their seats, but, you know, Toulouse, they were simply too much. It ended 26 to 17. They're starting to really separate themselves at the very top, two wins ahead of the next closest club after these eight games. Okay, that brings us to the Gallagher Premiership. And as we mentioned last week, with the massively disrupted schedule due to Worcester and Wasps' ignoble departures, we had only four fixtures for the weekend for round seven. We ended up with three of the four being away wins. Again, these trends continue. Really getting intrigued by this whole phenomenon. Uh, anyway, Bath, they finally got their first win of the year. Though I was a bit surprised to note that London Irish and Newcastle are also stuck on just a single win, but both those teams have played only five games to Bath's seven. So we'll see. Uh, after this weekend, Saracens remain our only undefeated team, and they have a showdown with Sale next weekend for a battle of the top teams. And of course, Gloucester have been surpassing expectations all year. Gotta love the stories that are unfolding. Friday's lone fixture was, of course, London Irish versus Gloucester. Austin Healy took the lead on comms for this one. I'm starting to have, I guess, a love-hate relationship with him. Um, Regular listeners will recall, I used to really dislike Austin Healy, but eventually I got completely turned around and very much started to you know, appreciate especially his technical analysis, which remains unassailable. However, he, he really spends a lot of time second-guessing the officials. He loves nothing more than pointing out what a given player should have done instead of what he actually just did. It's, it's a cavalcade of negativity, and you know, I guess depending on your mood, it can be a bit hard to take. Every so often, though, he says something I find very funny, however, and usually, or often, I don't even get it. In, in this one, uh, 
Regarding the fielding of a high kick, one of the other guys in the booth shouted, what a catch by Ackerman, and Austin Healy said, he caught it in his teeth. I'm still wondering why that one cracked me up so much. I honestly don't know. Anyway, big highlight for this one, Adam Hastings drop goal for the lead very late. I mean, are you kidding? Everyone in the booth agreed they'd never seen a successful drop goal from further out. It was legit shocking. I mean, shocking that he took it, much less made it. Down to the very end, it was 21 to 22, under 10 minutes left, with Chris Harris just being a monster on defense. An incredibly dramatic ending, but the drop goal, that was the difference. Quote, the longest any of us have ever seen, 55 meters plus, unquote, said the comms. What a match. And, okay, everybody ready? Say it with me. Everybody all together. Is it Gloucester's year? So a few other highlights, Bath versus Northampton. It was a nice change from what we've seen from Bath all, all this year so far. Looking really good in the first half, especially. Shutting uh, shutting out the Saints 14 to nothing. We got to see a lovely try for Tom Dunn. And I finally put my finger on it. Tom Dunn looks like your buddy who works in IT and plays Dungeons & Dragons on the weekend. But that's not a diss, by the way. What I'm actually saying by that, of course, is if you have any connection with him, please tell him I want to join his D&D campaign. <laughs> Northampton... I don't know. They looked discombobulated. Perhaps they were confused by Bath's pitch being in such good condition for a change. Uh, 27-14 was the final score, and but in the last five minutes, Bath did not look like a side that could win anything. Their, their final drive netted them about negative 40 meters before they finally gave up the ghost. But, you know, good on them for getting their first victory of the year. Very gratifying that it came in front of their loyal fans as well. And of course, we also had Exeter versus Saracens. April 2022 was the last time these two teams met, almost exactly a half a year ago. Uh, quick poll for the listener out there. Do Saracens play dirty? So as you all know, I have an admittedly irrational dislike. There's no good reason for it, I admit. I just don't like them. And I really wonder if they play cheap or if I just see that because I'm trying to find justifications for my own antipathy. So, for instance, tonight, Owen Farrell intentionally tripped a guy right in front of the ref, this after already being cautioned for other cynical moves, and then he complained when he got called for it. I mean, what a C-word that guy is. Okay, in any event... Get in touch and let me know how you feel about this team. I'm honestly curious. So, Stuart Hogg, he came out with his Samurai Jack quaff. There was, of course, more chat about him. He doesn't want the captaincy. Oh, he's disappointed to lose it. No, this is the perfect situation for him, removing that pressure. Which is it, guys? Anyway, um, by the way, I decided ahead of time I was only going to watch this match until the crowd did their stupid Tomahawk Chop song. So you know there was no way I would watch the whole thing. Oh, random side note. Saracen's in white and Exeter in black. It's weird, as is the new Saracen's kit. Another side note, I just don't like it when there's no designated Sinbin chair. It doesn't seem like they should be allowed to just go up and sit with their mates and chat. Anyway, another thing that really jumped out in this one was there was just so much complaining to the refs. It was out of control. It was like 30 Johnny Sextons out there all at the same time. Uh, if you're keeping score, by the way, the answer turned out to be 15. 15 minutes. That's how long it took before the dimwit anthem be began. That was more than enough to stop watching. It's a weird, increasingly emotional reaction I'm having with this team, right? Like, I just explained again how much I dislike Saracens, but this Exeter team, the fact that their Dan Snyder-esque crap bag owner still won't make a statement asking people to stop this nonsense means they're effectively being encouraged to keep it up. So here is this very good team featuring a player I love in Hoggy, playing against the team I actively root against. And yet, when Saracens ended up stealing it and winning 20-22, I instantly felt like, good, that's what you get. Ugh, hashtag stop the chop. Anyway, finally, 
Sale faced off against Harlequins on Sunday. It was a very good one for me as a Quins fan. They really bounced back from last week, getting a convincing win. Their first in Manchester in seven years, a stat that blew me away. Uh, Joe Marler was his usual shithousing self. I do often wonder, if I didn't like Harlequins so much, or if he was just on a different team, would I feel very different about him and his little antics? Uh, probably. The answer is probably. Uh, Marcus Smith, of course, was a revelation once again, but more on him later. So at the conclusion of this round, the table points ranged from 29 at the top to 8 at the bottom. The Falcons and the Exiles must be a bit worried that their 8 points are level with Wasps, a team that played one fewer match before turning into a very sad pumpkin. And speaking of which, they still haven't removed Wasps from the official uh, fixture list. So for the foreseeable future, it's going to remain just 4 games per week. Not good. So on to the URC, and well... If you had E. coli on your why have matches been postponed this week bingo card, you'd have won, I don't know, a fruit basket or something, because that's apparently what struck down the fixtures between Glasgow and the Lions, along with the match between Ulster and the Sharks. So I found four or five almost identical articles about it, only one of which specifically mentioned E. coli. What is it, embarrassing or something? I don't get it. In any event, yeah, definitely didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I'm picturing Rufus McLean, you know, genuflecting before the porcelain god, occasionally gasping, at least we're not losing this weekend. In all seriousness, I, I hope they all recover quickly. I really hope to, they manage to reschedule, but uh, I'm getting the vibe from the press releases that it seems a little unlikely with the tightness of the calendar. In any event, I'd really been looking forward to both those matches, so it's a shame the URC is losing a quarter of their games for the weekend. Uh, the two South African teams that did play this weekend went 500, the Bulls winning by a 2-1 to margin, and uh, the Stormers finally losing a game, something they are unaccustomed to doing. My boys in Galway got another win under their collective belt, Munster bowed to the inevitable, Edinburgh got a convincing road win, and we ended the round with an instant classic, Dragons surprising everyone, or at least me, against Ospreys. We even had a fantastic mascot sighting this week. So on Friday, of course, it was Benetton versus the Bulls, the visitors just ground their hosts into the, well, well, ground. And in my notes, I just wrote, Morne freaking stain. There should be some sort of extra rule that when any team brings in Morne stain, your team just automatically forfeits, just to spare you the actual experience of watching him single-handedly beat you. 22-44 uh, to 44 broke a five-game winning home streak for Benetton. Um, Connick versus Scarlet's featured an absolute downpour yet again, but the match was pretty even uh, for the most part. Connacht would score, then Scarlet's would tie, and so forth, back and forth. Uh, Mac Hansen at number 11 for Connacht. Very good, very slippery. Uh, he looks like a percussionist from a band at Woodstock that you've never heard of before. Side note, uh, I, this is classic, I think. I noticed the big sideline ad for Murdy Rabbit's Kitchen and Bar. So just as you'd expect, I looked it up, and I found this. Quote, when you're sitting under the sun in the beer garden out the back, the historical significance of Murdy Rabbits might slip by unnoticed. But with origins dating back to the California gold rush of 1849, this Forster Street bar, kitchen, and garden is one of the oldest watering holes in the city. And when we say it's worth its weight in gold, we mean it. Ugh. In honor of their newly claimed title of best beer garden in Galway, we've decided to venture way back to 1872, when it all began, and celebrate the years of memories that have made Murdy Rabbits what it is today. Sparked by the discovery of gold at Sutter's Mill on the American River in 1848, hordes of people from all across the globe set sail for California in order to source their share of the goods. Amongst these men, who would go on to become known as the 49ers, was Cormac Rabbit, a hopeful Gal Galwegian, which I didn't know was a word until just today. Uh, with a strong work ethic, Cormac made the courageous journey from coast to coast, and his bravery was certainly rewarded. Cashing in his gold and returning home just over 10 years later, Rabbit opened a flour milling business on Quay Street in 1860. As fate would have it, 
The building went up in flames sometimes later, but as they say, when one door closes, another opens. In putting the last of his gold rush money into the establishment of a bar and grocery store, Cormac Rabbit was opening the doors of an establishment that would go on to be a venerable Galway institution. Staying in the family for four generations, Cormac and his wife Margaret passed the business over to their son Peter, who became proprietor while it was known as Rabbit's Provisions Shop, Licensed Premises, and Lodgings. <laughs> I love that stuff. Anywho, there were major kicking issues on both sides of this one all night, but yes, Connick would still come out the better, winning convincingly 36-14. to 14. Connick had had only eight tries all season, and then tonight, five. Wow. So on Saturday... It was Zebra versus Edinburgh, and hey, the Zebra Zebra. You'd think I would have spotted him before now, but, you know, there are more things in heaven and earth, etc. Uh, a very different squad for Edinburgh. Only five players from last week's roster. One or two I'm not even sure I'd ever seen before. Uh, Edinburgh, they got a first-half try bonus point, but the crowd was just fantastic. you got to say, cheering and singing and generally carrying on as if they were certain of their home team's victory. Zebra finally scored around 50 minutes, and found themselves looking for a try bonus point of, the, of their own at the end, but ended up coughing it up. By the way, Zebra, they outscored Edinburgh 19-12 to 12 in the second half. That made me a little bit worried that maybe Edinburgh have contracted an acute case of Glasgow enteritis. <laughs> and I know a couple of people who will be steaming about that joke, but come on, guys. That was pretty good. 19-38 to 38 was the final tally. Uh, Leinster versus Munster. Of course, the result was inevitable, but not a blowout. Munster shot themselves in the foot in many ways, including two consecutive yellows in the first half. Johnny Sexton continues to get away with berating any and all officials. Still not sure why there are separate rules for him. Oh, sorry. Separate laws for him. 27 to 13 was your score in that one. Uh, Cardiff versus Stormers. No fear for Cardiff. They led 11-0 around 20 minutes. That did change quickly, just over the next 10 minutes or so. Josh Turnbull, oh my gosh, he was amazing, as always. And the comms announced, they sense a big scalp tonight. At 24-all, what they called a cacophonous chorus of boos rained down during a LeBoc conversion attempt. Gotta respect that. Of course, the Stormers, they're so methodical. They're, they're approaching machine status at this stage. They were on, at this point, a 15-game unbeaten streak. Then the rains came in late, and it was Reese Priestland, to kick a, who, who had a long kick to retake the lead with just 10 minutes left. By the way, throughout this match, they kept giving us shots of people in the luxury boxes. It was really weird because it was always like nicely dressed people sitting on these plump couches with large hanging art behind them, all of them paying not one bit of attention to the game. I, I don't really get it. In any event, quote, hymns and arias ring out, unquote, said the comms, as 52 times capped for Wales, Reese Priestland put this one to bed, bringing the Cardiff win streak to three and ending the remarkable run of the reigning champs. I feel bad for whoever has to play the Stormers next week. Yikes. So Sunday, like I have to say, Dragons, Ospreys, I was expecting a stinker, but no. Dragons, Dragons, great crowd. A convincing lead around 55 minutes. Great to see some fire from the Dragons at home, if you pardon the pun. So I actually feel like I have to apologize. Last week, I said something along the lines of, given what this matchup is likely to be like, if you have any errands to do, you should probably do them on Sunday. And who oh boy, was I ever wrong. This one, it had everything, including a passage where Ospreys were down to 13 men, followed by a passage where Dragons were down to 13, a period during which, by the way, Dragons broke away for a try that would ultimately be the difference. Ospreys, they scored with hardly any time and immediately kicked a drop goal for the conversion, miraculously giving them a chance to get away with a draw. It did come down to the very wire, but Dragons, they held on at home to the ecstasy of their fans. What a response. What a match. 
Afterwards, they interviewed one of the Dragons players. He was so excited he dropped a massive F-bomb, which was somehow incredibly fitting. Just great stuff at Rodney Parade. I will never doubt the drama that can unfold in a Welsh derby again. What a way to end an incredible round in the Irk. So, of course, after round six, Leinster remained the only unbeaten team, followed in table points by Ulster. And then, don't look now, the next four slots are all South African teams. Zebrae are sadly back in their usual spot, dead bottom of the table, and still winless. But they face Dragons next week. You know they have that one circled on the calendar. Okay, we also do have a Super 6 update. So, last week... I speculated, I guess, that this iteration of the Super 6 had ended, and I have to say, I'm a little bummed that none of you reached out to tell me that I was wrong about that. This time around, they decided to have the top four teams play for some sort of playoffy thingy. Uh, I'm still unclear how they couched it exactly, but on Friday, the top team, Watsonians, faced off against the fourth-ranked team, Harriet's Rugby, and then on Saturday, the second-ranked team, Ayrshire, hosted my Borm Weir Bears. Watsonians, of course, pancaked Harriet to the tune of 31-12, to while Ayrshire blanked the Bears 17 to nil. I would imagine this sets up a final between Watsonians and Ayrshire, but much like last week, the official site still says no fixtures to display, so I really don't know what's up with that. I will keep my eyes peeled, and if I find out anything, I will be sure to post it on the Twitterses. Well, by that music, you'll know, of course, it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Marcus Smith. Mr. Smith, you were absolutely sensational this weekend, scoring 24 of your team's 29 points, giving the assist on the only try that wasn't your own. You were perfect from the tee, making both conversions and nailing all five penalty kicks. Your fire and leadership again ignited your team, and after a big loss to the Tigers last weekend, you have brought your team back from the doldrums and sent a message to the league that Harlequins will not go gently into that good night. Marcus Smith, playmaker and absolute magician on the pitch, congratulations to you, sir, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, sir. Okay, moving on to our updates and previews. So, Rugby World Cup 2021, as you all know, the pool stages are over, which means we're moving on to the knockout rounds. Next weekend, on the 29th, we'll have France facing Italy, New Zealand facing Wales, and then on Sunday, it'll be England versus Australia and Canada versus USA. Pretty excited for that one, except, ugh, God. In any event... The top 14 will have round nine. That's again going to bring us the six Saturday fixtures and then one on Sunday. Saturday, including Cast versus Claremont, Montpellier versus Stade Francais, Brieve versus Racing 92, Bordeaux Begler versus Toulon, La Rochelle looking to bounce back against Poe and Perpignan versus Lyon. And then Sunday, of course, we'll have Bayonne versus Toulouse. Very curious to see how they handle being back on the road for this one. Should be fun. So, moving back to the Premiership, Round 8 will, of course, bring just the four matches. Friday featuring Gloucester at home for Exeter. Ooh, that should be really good. And no stupid home crowd for the Chiefs. Yay! Saturday, of course, we'll have Harlequins versus London Irish. Northampton versus Bristol, which I'm looking forward to because I feel like I have no feel for either of those teams. And then, of course, the blockbuster, Saracens versus Sale, the battle of the top two. Then... The URC, well, if it's round nine in France and round eight in England, that means it's round seven for the United Rugby Championship. And this weekend, barring any food poisoning, of course, we'll have a nice full slate featuring Glasgow back at home for Benetton, Scarlet's hosting Leinster on Friday, ouch, 
followed by Lions versus Stormers, Dragons versus Zebra, Munster versus Ulster. Ooh, that's going to be so good. Ospreys will be hosting Connacht on Saturday, and then Sunday will see us clear for the week with another South African derby, Bulls versus Sharks, and finally, Cardiff making uh, looking to make it four in a row against a frankly hard to figure out Edinburgh side. We will see. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And as you can tell, these competitions are all really heating up. As I'm getting more and more into it, though, I have to remind myself that just when it gets really intense, that's when they start going away. First for Six Nations, and then for the opening rounds of the European Cups. Not complaining, mind you. These are some of the best weekends a rugby fan could ever hope for. I'm just mentally preparing myself to sort of switch gears right when the stories are really starting to become clear. So, as always... Thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers, talk to you soon, and be well.